Welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm here today with Byron Enriquez. Byron, thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So kick it off. Tell our listeners who you are and where you're from. Byron Enriquez um, with a group called JSS Financial out here in the West Coast out of Calabasas, California. Been out here, born and raised, an LA kid. One of the few people that can say born and raised in Los Angeles. Uh, been out here my whole life. Yep. lot of transplants, as we call them in California, where in many people from all over the world moved to Southern California, right? So to actually be a local, I remember growing up in San Diego and people would be like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, yeah, I'm from here. They're like, no, where are you really from? <laughs> I'm like, I, you know what? I, I, get that. I, I get that all the time. We spend a lot of time in, in downtown Los Angeles also, um, have a little place there. And uh, it's everybody you meet. It's, you know, where are you from? Oh, I'm from, from LA. They say, they say LA because they've been there for 10 years or 15 years. That's but exactly it's like, it. Where'd you grow up? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I totally get that. And uh, I'm just about an hour south of you here, um, maybe hour and a half in Huntington Beach right now. So what got you into the real estate industry in the first place? What was your wow. first exposure to, you know, real estate, lending, just the whole game? So, that, I mean, that's a pretty loaded question, and I hope you have you know, a couple hours here to get to it, <laughs> uh, but no, I'll, I'll keep it short and sweet. So, I'll rewind to my childhood. You know, I was 12, 13, 14 years old, come from immigrant parents. You know, they, you know, first generation here in the United States, where English was, was their second language, and they spoke English, and they had jobs, and did all the, all the right things. But yet, when it came to like, financial matters, you know, and this is, you know, back in the 80s, loan documents and everything were not in Spanish. So I remember being 14, 13, 14 years old, and my dad asking me to help him read some of these loan docs. And here I am, 13-year-old kid, I mean, doesn't know anything about, you know, really what I'm reading, but somehow it intrigued me. And I would read loan docs to him and kind of explain the process of what, at least what I could understand. And it made an impact. And I never really made much of it, right? Fast forward, wow, I mean, probably seven, eight years, I'm in school. Let's go. I would take Cal State Los Angeles, you know, studying finance and econ, and had a lot of family. Uh, I had a couple of cousins, older cousins, who were in real estate. And I remember just somebody said, "Hey, you know, you probably should get your real estate license." And it was just kind of one of those things. So I did. Went out, got my real estate license. All the while, I'm I'm a foreign exchange trader and working in the banks and doing the finance gig, and that's my thing, right? I'm just like I like to say, I'm a self-proclaimed nerd, finance nerd, and numbers, and I just that's just what I do. When I got my real estate license, decided, hey, I'm going to go work for a brokerage and sell houses. Didn't know a thing about the business, what I was doing. Went out and sold maybe one or two homes. And I came back and I was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> it was just, it was not for me. You know, it was just How like- How old were you at that point? I was, I want to say maybe 19, 20 years old. All right. Maybe 21. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, first of all, you know, I'm, I'm, I had never owned a home myself, right? I knew finance, but didn't really know the concept behind real estate and what attracts people to certain property types and all that stuff where, you know, the professional, the good realtors know what they're doing was not me whatsoever. And I realized that was not my, that was not for me in my whole life, you know, right around there, I realized 
I had a mentor, an older gentleman who was in commercial real estate. I met him at a coffee shop. It wasn't anything you know, profound. There wasn't anything set up through an organization. It was nothing. It was just some gentleman that I met at a coffee shop that I would go to and he would hang out there and we got to talking one day, you know, and, you know, we, we, we became friends. He was a commercial realtor out in Glendale, just was doing a ton of, ton of business. And I told him, and I said, look, I got my real estate license, not for me. And he, and he kind of looked at me and he's like, you have a finance background. Why are you not doing mortgages? And a light bulb went off, you know, and I was like, okay, that makes sense. So yeah. You know, started looking for for a job at the time. I have a newborn baby at home, literally three months old. I find it. Um, I have a decent job. You know, working at a bank, foreign exchange trader, working bankers up, not bankers hours because I'm working at five to three. You know, five in the morning to three in the afternoon. Create kind of crazy bankers hours, and I decide to take a leap into a commission only mortgage sales job with no mortgage experience, no sales experience, no nothing. And I said, I'm going to do it. And been doing it for 20 years now. Awesome. Great story. I really liked the beginning when you were translating mortgage loan documents for your parents at 13, 14. You know what? It's funny. And it's like, it never really made an impact until years later, looking back. And my dad made a comment once. And when I got in the business and he said, he goes, Hey, do you remember when you used to, you know, go through the, you know, the documents? I mean, I was like, you know what? You're right. I did. Right. You know? And he's like, and I remember you like, just turning pages and trying to read more. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So it kind of all started making a little bit of sense. Yeah. You're like, that's why I'm that's doing right. this now. You're the one who messed me up a long time ago. <laughs> that's right. So now you've been doing, you know, mortgage and it seems like now capital, um, but you've been doing, you know, lending for about 20 years. So I'm curious to hear kind of where you're at in transaction volume, you know, today. And then I have some follow-up questions based on that. Okay. So that's good. So um, yeah, you know, and then I'll kind of fill in a couple of the gaps because there's been a big turn of events that have kind of happened in the last 20 years, me being in the business, you know, started my first mortgage company at 24, killing it. I mean, doing 65 transactions a month, doing, you know, 30, 40, $50 million in business every month. This was in, you know, 06, 07 market crashes. I'm completely destitute. Say, you know what? I'm never doing this again lost. I owed on my warehouse line, probably $30 million and trying to figure out, you know, how am I going to get this money to pay people back and all this, you know, and I figured I was never going to do it again. Um, but somehow I got dragged back in, you know, went back into it, started working at the corporate level, kind of built myself up on the corporate side of it. So I worked for the banks. I ran a whole credit union mortgage department, you know, and I kind of did this thing where, you know, I kind of refined my skills a little bit, I think, you know, and I kind of Eventually, I decided I was like, you know what? I've been tired of building for other people, and I'm going to try to take the leap and build for myself, which I did. You know, now we're we're lending. We've been doing this now for with our own institution for about five, six years now. You know, where we started doing all the residential stuff, we do start doing your you know your your transactional stuff. Um, in the last two years, we've transitioned more into the private money world, where some people call it hard money. I don't like to use that term per se, right? It has a kind of negative connotation to it a little bit. Uh, but we do the outside the box lending. We do, you know, the lending that what I like to say is we do the loans that nobody likes to touch, right? And I always find a home and, and that's based off of uh, 20 years of relationships that I've built with investors, uh, hedge funds, family offices that we can rely on their capital to be able to, to lend out. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. And it's definitely needed nowadays. I think that 
self-employed persons with high income are one of the biggest opportunities for lenders because ever since the crash, there's been much stricter regulation around proving your income. And, you know, for example, nowadays as a business owner, I make more money than ever before, but it's hard to get approved for anything because, you know, you're a pass-through entity with, you know, you're writing stuff off against the business and you can do that. So you limit your taxation, but then it's almost like you have to overpay on taxes for a couple of years just to prove that, hey, I'm, I'm credit worthy. And that's and it. So and that's exactly, yeah, no, that's exactly it, you know, and, and that's, my career has always been based, you know, my you know high net worth individuals when I was doing, you know, just regular residential loans. And, and I kind of saw that there was a niche, there was a, a market, a very underserved market. And, and at the time, like you said, after the crash, nobody wanted to touch those loans, right? There was, there was nobody, you know, and there was only the, the hard money guys out there that would, but, and then again, the hard money was kind of a scary place to go. So we've created this, this organization where, you know, we like to call ourselves, you know, very red carpet, very concierge service, because, we talk to, we speak to our, our borrower, our customer, and build that relationship and find out exactly what it is that they need. And then we can go to different funds and we can go and we put together these packages for them where it makes more sense, right? If it's their self-employed, if they're investor, they're looking to flip properties, you know, we can finance development projects. Now we, now we can finance, you know, big, do some here in California, there's some really, really high-end properties. We were involved in, you know, 45, $50 million transactions. Uh, out in the Hollywood Hills, Beverly Hills, Malibu, you know, we do some of those real, real cool, fun, fun properties that those are the properties that get me out of bed. You know, when you walk a, you know, 20,000 square foot property with, you know, 17 bedrooms and 15 bathrooms, it's kind of a cool thing to, to look at every once in a while. Yeah, no, absolutely. Makes total sense. And that is exciting. So I would love to run through a scenario with you because for myself on the commercial multifamily sales side, I'm always putting deals together and you know, it's great to make another lending contact, especially ones that are open to flips and looking at things from an investment standpoint. So uh, I'd love to give you an example and kind of run through what that would look like from the lending point of view on your end, if you're okay with that. Of course, yeah. Cool. So I have a six unit off market deal in Huntington Beach. It is five, two bed, one baths. And then there's actually a single family home on the front of the lot. It's a three, two. And, you know, decent cash flow. Basically, they've had Section 8 renters for like 20 years. They just haven't had to renovate it and they never want to leave. And so it's actually like close to market rent, even though there's about 20 years of deferred maintenance. Wow. Okay. And right next, right next door, there's two new fourplexes, three stories high. And this one is only two stories, garage underneath, you know, and then living on top for the five units. I see huge potential and it's already zoned. To, to have, you know, double the amount of units on it and going up a story and doing a major type of, you know, kick all the people out or find them other housing and then like totally work on this yeah. thing for six months and do a 12 month flip where we at we double the amount of units. And so with something like that, the owner wants 2.8 and then doing all the metrics and everything, building it all in, I think that, you know, probably would need like, I don't know, 3.2 to, to make it happen. 3.2 so, on top of on top of the 2.8 to purchase the existing property, right? No, no. So I'm thinking it would be maybe, I don't know, 400,000, 500,000 for the, the renovation. And oh, maybe wow. I'm, really? Only, maybe, okay. Yeah. And m- maybe I'm undercutting that, but I'm just thinking as a hypothetical. Let's round up. Okay. Let's go to 3.5. 
So yeah. now we have 700,000 in, in the renovation budget. You know, what kind of loan product would you offer for something like that? So on something like that, what we'll do is that's, and that's a great scenario actually, because we do a lot of that. We can tailor something like that, where, as you know, here in California, other states, but here in California, it's, that's the, that's the game right now for, for the developers, the, the guys who are smart and, you know, are, are flipping and there's a lot of guys who are flipping, right? Now the guys who are taking it to phase two is they're going up in units, right? Yeah. And, you know, since, since we've been allowed here in California to add ADUs or a secondary ADU, or a lot of the properties that are getting rezoned and allowed for multi-units, that's what's hot right now with a lot of developers, right? We're seeing a ton of that. Um, so on something like that, what we'll do is we'll usually do a calculation based off of your cost. We'll, we'll do the acquisition cost, your soft costs, hard costs, permits, fees, anything you need to pay. So we'll add all that up and we can, we'll usually lend you up to 80% of loan to cost. So not just based off of the value, we'll go off of what the expenses are going to be for the property. Um, including construction, permits, everything. Correct. Yeah. On something like that, I mean, on, you know, on a smaller type flips where it's paint, carpet, things of that nature, we don't yeah. need permits, right? If you're building up or you're adding units or you're adding, you know, square footage and, you know, now, A, we need a contractor, we need license, we need insurance and we need permits, definitely. Yep. Absolutely. And so that's really interesting that you would do loan to cost not loan to current value, which is, okay. I do think it's, you know, it's kind of a flawed way to look at it. It's more of a, a personal residence way to look at it rather than an investor way to look at it. You know, and, and that's, yeah, that's exactly it. We're, we're looking, reviewing it as a business opportunity, right? So we know that in they, you know, using that money and adding value to the property, now it's not 2.8 or whatever the, the purchase price was. Now it's probably a four to $5 million property, right? Cause now we're talking about eight units. So you know, and there's a backend calculation that we do, which which is based off of the future value also, right? Mm -hmm. So we do 80% loan to cost cannot exceed 70% loan to future value, right? So there's a little backend calculation that we'll do in there to make mm -hmm. sure that that what we're investing in it is going to create enough value that we're still under certain thresholds in the future based off of what the property will be once complete. Right. And it's breaking down to be about 470000 per door now. So then if we added, like you said, three units, so now it went from six to nine, exactly. that after repair value on that same valuation per door would be 4.2 million. And I think that 20 years of deferred maintenance compared to brand new flip plus three units is going to get closer to 500,000 per door, right? So then and it that's goes what I was to like $5 yes. million dollar valuation, right? Correct, right? Because you're not just adding the doors, but you're also cleaning up the different maintenance, everything the look nice and pretty, right? So that, now that's an attractive property that somebody wants to get into. Yeah. 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 Very interesting that you're, you're open to look at it that way. You know, that look at the really business opportunity and investment angle. Love oh no, yeah. So the, the most of the people that we that I partner with that we, you know, will that we raise our funds through are big investment companies, hedge funds and whatnot. And a lot of these guys are all developer developers, right? So, or they have been at some point, or they're always looking for for also you know, development opportunities. So they understand that process, they understand the capital stack, they understand what we're doing, you know, to to get us to a certain destination, right? We just did, you know, a 25 condo unit out in Oakland right? Ground up, right? Where, where it was like the, the, the borrower approached us with, was like, you know, she was like, Hey, look, I own raw dirt. 
but I know I can build 25 units. And she had, you know, the, the, the business plan and the, and the financials, you know, and she says, you know, my exit, you know, it's what, you know, what I'm going to get for this property afterwards. It's, it's so much more. There's a lot of value in there. We can, we're willing to go in there. And a lot of times like that, on situations like that, we will even partner with someone where we'll say, look, not only give you the capital, but we also have the know-how, the resources to be able to partner with you, to be able to, to go down the road, to make sure that this project is completed thoroughly and properly. Mm, I love that. So in your entrepreneurial journey, I'm curious, after 20 years of finance, lending, you know, now capital, you know, what's the single most important action you take on a daily basis that attributes most to your success? Um, it's a couple of things, right? So for me, and I'm very methodical about what I do, I'm very detail-oriented about, about my steps and, and what I need to do, task-oriented, right? So that's, those are the things that kind of all fall in. But I'm big on having a plan and having a game plan of what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish. I'm a sports guy, you know, athlete growing up, you know, there's a lot of competitiveness in me and, you know, all that kind of side, all kind of builds, builds in, but I'm big on, on having that methodical workflow of what I need to accomplish. You know, it gets a little, a little crazy at times because I like to map everything out at times, you know, but I do, right. I, I have my routines where I get up, uh, not so much anymore. I've, you know, kind of drawn away from it, but I used to, for, for years and years, I, I would wake up at 4.30 every morning. The only reason I did that was because when I was trading uh, Forex years and years ago, I was an early guy. And then I remember reading a, a book, some Navy SEALs, you know, I'm sure that's this big thing out there. And he was always talking about waking up at 4.30 in the morning, start your day. So one day I decided that's what I'm going to do. Started to get up at 4.30, work out, uh, you know, read, do my, organize my thoughts for the morning uh, and then execute on my plan for the day. Right. And that's, and I've been big on that is, and you know what, we fall, a lot of times we fall and we, we don't get to certain things, but having that knowledge to say, you know what, I failed today, right. And get to, to accomplish the things I needed to do. Let me, let me reshuffle that and, and reattack it tomorrow. But having that methodical, you know, daily grind of the things that I need to do and the things that I need to accomplish. I'll throw another thing too. In, and I know you said one, but it's also mentorship, you know, having somebody that you can talk to. And having somebody that has some experience and be able to share some ideas with, that's invaluable. Couldn't agree more with the mentorship. That is so invaluable. And waking up at 4.30 in the morning is just cool nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> not so much anymore. Um, as I've gotten a little bit older, not much older, but a little bit older, it's six o'clock now, you know, just because um, I, was, I, was, I felt like I was kind of wearing myself out because the 4.30 works if you go to bed early, yes. you know, but I don't. You know, I was still awake, staying up till midnight, one o'clock working, and then I'm getting, you know, three or four hours of sleep a night, which I'm good with. Yeah. It does take its toll after, after a while. Absolutely. And my biggest fear as a business owner and entrepreneur is burnout. That's my biggest fear. You know, it I'm is, and, and, you know, I, it is, and it's tough because, you know, I, I do a lot of, uh, I, I'm big into like the leadership and, and kind of mentorship myself. And now that I've been through through this a few times and, you know, build some organizations and then some successes, if you will, right. I like to kind of be able to give that back to some people and talk to people and mentor, mentor them and, you know, do some coaching and, and whatnot, you know, and it's one of the things that I always talk to with business owners. It's, it's, and I know it's a, it's a common phrase, but it's working in the business of breaking down your business, right. It's what's your exit strategy. It's we're good salespeople. We're good executors of our, at our, of our task and our, and our job, right. We're, you know, we're selling either properties or selling mortgages or, you know, vacuum cleaners, whatever it is you're selling, right? We're good at it, but you can't sell your whole life. At some point, you need to be able to hand it off or build something enough where 
this business could continue on and you can go play golf or go surf or whatever it is you're, you're, you know, you know, you want to do, but it's tough because, you know, I'm that guy where I like to control everything, right. It's, it's, I'm doing things day in and day out because I know I can do it and I know I'm good at what I'm doing, but it does take that, that know-how and that knowledge to be able to say, look, I'm going to let go a little bit and then delegate some tasks and grow my organization so that, you know, I can accomplish the things that other bigger, the bigger picture in life that I want to. That's right. Because are you living to work or working to live? Right? And it's a very, you know, it's a tough thing, right? Because as entrepreneurs, that's what we want to do. We want to outwork everybody. We want to, you know, there's a meme that I cut and pasted or posted a while back. And it said, I gave up my nine to five for a 24 seven. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and it is, it's like, right. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a nine to five job because it's you kind of, it's always working but it does take its toll and it does wear you out. And it's, and it's, you know, what, what, how, where's that balance between, you know, your work and your life and your family and all the other things that you want to do. That's right. So nowadays for your company, I mean, you've been doing this for 20 years. You probably have a good book of referral business, but you know, how are you generating new business? You know, are you doing any types of lead generation that are interesting? You know, what's your digital presence look like? I'm, I'm really curious to hear like, What's your percentage of referral to uh, new business? Yeah, that's a good question. Question, you know, and and it's and it's one of the things that I've kind of prided myself on over the years. When when I say when I was in the banking side in the corporate world, uh, teaching sales, right? Uh, one of the things, one of the kind of the principles that I've always taught is your activities, right? And it's what your your money making activities are, what your sales activities are. And I've I've always told people I don't care what activities you do, right? Because if you're good at it, you're going to generate business. But it's knowing your numbers, right? It's knowing your your you know, qualifying. What's my percentages? You know, what's my success rate for certain activities? And then doing that activity the right amount of times, right? If you're going to telemarket and you know my success rate on telemarketing is two percent, well, I know I got to make a hundred phone calls to get two two deals, right? Because that's your success rate. But the guys who say, "Look, I'm a telemarketer. I have a two percent success rate, but I make five calls a day." right? You're never going to get achieve those numbers because it's just, it's a numbers thing, right? So we've done over the years, we've done all kinds of every pretty much activity you can imagine. Uh, the first mortgage company I went, that I went to, so here in Southern California, uh, would do a lot of radio advertising. So we were, you know, phone guys that we would answer the phone. Um, it was mostly inbound calls, but it was expensive. When I, when I decided to go out on my own, I wanted to do that. Didn't have the resources to do so, but I still wanted to make the phone ring. Right? I still wanted to make the phone ring. Uh, one of the remember one of the first things we did. This is actually a funny story. Not many people know about this, and I'm not sure why I'm going to say it, but I'll go ahead and share. We did an outbound campaign. It was myself, and I think I had two sales guys working for me at the time, where we were trying to do a mailing campaign. Right, that was the premise, but we didn't have the resources at the time that and actually sent out the mailing campaign. So what we did is we called the homeowners that we were targeting at the time and said, Hey, I'm calling to follow up on the mailer. I sent you no, well, knowing we never sent a mailer. Right. And we would say, and they're like, well, I don't think we ever saw it. And our response was, you know what? That's a common thing. Most people just toss our thing in the mail, you know, toss it in the trash when they get something. Yeah. Let me tell you what it was about anyway. <laughs> right. So we've done that. Um, we've done, eventually we got to radio advertising and we, we did very well with that and it's, and it's pricey and it's expensive. I used to have a radio call-in show on a Spanish radio station where I answered phone calls live, you know, a couple hours a day and just, add, you know, spoke to people about mortgage. We've done, now we've transitioned more into more of a digital space, right? Where 
it's not my strong suit, uh, but I do have a team behind me that can help with that uh, dramatically. You know, we're getting out into the social atmosphere. You know, we've created, I've created a, an online persona that, and you guys can follow me at the casual executive. And that's, you know, one of the things that we, we push out there. We're, we're out there growing our social media presence uh, with podcasts like this, like this, you know, doing different things where we also do a lot of email campaigns. We're branding and we're, we're, we're just trying to expand our presence. And I, to answer your question, I think right now we're probably about 60, 40, 60% uh, new, new lead generation and 40% referrals. Awesome. Yeah, that's a, a solid percentage of new business through different types of lead generation sources. And I am curious, based on the digital stuff that you mentioned, that that new wave, are you doing paid advertising or is it all um, organic? It for the it's it, up to this point, it had been all organic. We just launched our first paid campaign actually this week or on awesome. Thursday or Friday of last week, I believe it was. It was kind of a venture into it, which is that a small test. A, to make sure our, our systems were in place to do so. One of the things that I've learned over, over my career is I've had big organizations. You know, at one point I had 150 people working for me, call centers, you know, just answering the phones and doing all this. The second, second generation that I call it now, second uh, time around, doing it a lot different, right? We've outsourced a lot. We've, you know, putting together different systems and tools in place where my human capital is a lot smaller, but I can bring in higher quality people to execute on different tasks where a lot of the systems, a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of technology out there now that can take place. A lot of the things that, that can be time consuming or draining financially on your budget, right? So we just launched our first digital campaign, uh, paid digital campaign, and then we'll go where now we're creating some more now that we saw that it worked and we knew how to make it work. Um, it's not easy, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of little tricks that, that you have to know how to do, right? It's your, you know, your target audience, you know, what's your reach? What's your mile radius? What's your this? What, you know, there's a lot of little tweaks that you have to do. And we have one of the guys on my team is an analytics guy. So he, what he does is we're just trying to get data to him and myself, because I'm a numbers guy too. And him and I just crunch that data and figure out what's that best approach. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, you're running that in-house right now, that first campaign? Right now it is all in-house. Yes. Congrats for taking the, the leap and, and doing that. It's, you know, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone. The team that I have is a lot younger, you know, and they're, they're, you know, savvy with the social and they're savvy with this and TikTok and whatnot. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, they were like, yeah, we need you to start filming the reels. And I didn't know what that was at the time, you know, and I was like, oh, let me do a little research. And, you know, so we haven't done one yet, but it's in the works. We're trying to do some videos and try to post some stuff on the social platforms to, to try to build some more organic, organic following. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I got some ideas for you. Maybe we could chat after. That'd be great. I'm always open to ideas because that's, that's definitely what, um, what I lack in, um, you know, one of the things that I've learned over, over my career is, 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 you know, I'm smart enough to know that I don't know everything, you know, surround mm -hmm. yourself with good people, surround yourself with people that can pick up for, I don't want mirror images of myself, right? I want people who, who can fill in the gaps because there's a lot of things I don't know. Yep. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it's so critical to surround yourself with people that are better than you in certain areas of the business. So yeah, that, that way you can one day escape it, like you said, and walk away and still have the organization run and grow without you. So, you know, one of our biggest goals right now is we're trying and, and, and I'll say this as a, as a very proud dad type moment. Um, my son who's still in high school for the last year has been interning with us and trying to learn the ropes and he's helping us with some of our marketing stuff. And, and we're trying to teach him different tools and things. And he, you know, he's excited and he's, 
Ed, how does that work? And how does that, how does that sales part of it work? I I heard you explain this to the, to the borrower. Can you explain that to me? You know, not saying that he will take over the business. I, you know, I don't know. It's premature to say, yeah. but it's a very proud thing to, 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 to see somebody picking up some of those things and, and be able to say, hey, look, maybe that is my exit strategy. Maybe is, that is my opportunity to hand something off, you know, and, and kind of a legacy type thing. So that's, yeah. that's been fun. That's been one of my funnest parts of my career the last year. That's awesome. Yeah. Get, get your son's feet wet in the business. And, you know, of course you have grand visions of him taking it over, but you also understand he's just starting out. Yeah. Might not be what he wants to do. So he may, like, it say, you know, yeah. he's, he may definitely hate it, you know, which is fine. And I'm, I'm not never going to push somebody into doing, to doing it. Yep. Absolutely. What are one to three books that have greatly influenced your life or career? All right. That's a good question. And I actually, well, I won't reach now, but I actually, I, I carry, there's this little paper that I carry in my wallet and there's five books on there that uh, a mentor of mine, maybe eight or nine years ago, maybe no, actually, wow, 15 years ago, gave me to read one of them, Career Warfare. It, and I don't, I'm not gonna remember the authors right now, but if you look them up, that's a fantastic book. It, it, help, it teaches you how to navigate the corporate world, but it, it teaches you how to brand yourself and how to become indisposable, right? For your career. And, and you know, I've taken that in different aspects of whatever, whatever venue I'm in. Right. Another one, and this is a classic that I know everybody has always talked about, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, not necessarily for, for his way of investing, right. But just for teaching us that there's a way to look at things, right. There's a, there's a difference of how you can approach, you know, and, and it's that having the mentality where what you say to yourself matters, right. And how you see yourself matters. And that, and that has always guided a lot of my decision-making into, into what we do. Right. It's one of the, you know, I'll segue into this and I'll get back to another one. Uh, but one of the things that right now we're working on um, and it's getting ready to launch, I know you've, you've alluded to it a couple of times um, with our own fund and raising capital. It's one of the biggest reasons that I have to launch that fund is to be able to expand the opportunity for younger people to be able to invest in something. Right. These big funds, these opportunity funds have always been around for a long time. 90% of the people who've always invested in them are already millionaires. Right, they're already accredited investors who have. This is just part of their portfolio, and they just dump a couple million dollars in because they need somewhere to park it, right? right. And and it's fine. That's you know, hey, look, they can send me the money, and I will put it to use all day long. But I have a passion to show some of the younger millennial generation or some of this younger generation that there's a way to invest in real estate without necessarily having to go. You know, they're like, I, I don't have enough to go buy a house and flip it, or I don't have the know-how to do so. Right. And where I have a 401k at work, but maybe I have, you know, my savings, you know, 30, 40, $50,000 set aside that I have something with. And usually these, these funds have not opened up that opportunity for, right. Where one of the things that we're doing is we're lowering the thresholds on our minimums of what we can, of people can invest with us so that we can show the younger generation how to build some wealth, show them that there's an opportunity to grow your portfolio in a different aspect without having to go out and buy the real estate. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, that's one awesome. of the things that, yeah, it's right. I mean, literally, I got news yesterday that um, I need one more signed document and the SEC will approve our fund to go live probably in the next, you know, seven days. So some more announcements coming to that pretty soon. And we'll be well, putting some some more stuff out there with that. By the time this podcast releases, it'll be live because it'll be so, live. So yesterday weeks, we went live. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of another book that, that's been that's been instrumental. But there's a lot of them, obviously, because I, I that's one of the things that I love. You know, I've, I've found very important is just the reading aspect. And I'm drawing a blank right now, to be honest, of another one, but uh, I'll come 
I'll come, it'll come to me in a minute. No, that's all right. So it's easy to be blinded by the success of someone else, or you get caught in the comparison and, and the envy that comes naturally when you are hearing something uh, of someone that's ultra successful and has done something that you want. It's easy to kind of go there first and get blinded by their success. But in my experience, there's all kinds of failures and learning lessons behind the scenes that no one sees. So just to kind of anchor it back into reality, I'm curious how a failure or an apparent failure has set you up for later success. You know, do you have like a favorite failure of yours? I actually really do. It's in my career, you know, what I talked about, you know, back in 07, 08, you know, I thought I, there was a time where I thought I was on top of the world. You know, we were doing the crazy numbers. We had, you know, 150, 200 employees. Uh, I mean, you name it, you know, it was just, this was a different era, right? Market crashed. I owed, I had two partners at the time. I owed this, my warehouse line and then lending, you know, we, you borrow, you know, you have a credit card per se to fund loans, which I'm responsible for, right? We fund these loans. And once you sell the loan, the, your warehouse lines get paid back. I owed this warehouse line in excess of 25, $30 million. And the banks that I sold these loans to had gone out of business. Wow. So I had no place to place these loans. Right. And then you sit there and you have to renegotiate. Uh, you do something called scratch and dent where you're selling them uh, at a discount. You know, if it's a million dollar loan, somebody's giving me 600,000 and I'm like, all right, I'll take it. Who's covering the difference? I am, you know? Right. So you do that, you know, we did that for a while to try to get out of that hole, you know, you know, take losses of, you know, five, six, seven million dollars, you know, and, and once when you were here one day and now you're here, right. And we ended up shutting down the business. Not necessarily, we were still able to continue it, but it was more the partnership had just kind of um, broken up at that point. And it was, it, you know, it was not repairable. Um, so we decided to walk away where we could still be friends and there was things were not going to get, you know, bad. But I went through you know, almost a depression where for six months, I wouldn't get out of the couch. You know, I wouldn't get up. I wouldn't, didn't want to do anything. I was just so disillusioned with, with the business and I did not want anything to do with the business. Right. You know, and again, and I keep bringing up this word, you know, a mentor, somebody came into my life at that time and they said, look, you've done it once. The second time around is going to be easier, better, and you're going to do it the right way, you know? And it breathed life into me that I didn't feel that I had. And I, and I was all of a sudden, it was just this fervor inside of me to go out and, and almost a chip on my shoulder because I had something to prove that I said, you know what? I did it before. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it better. Right. I'm going to do it, you know, in a different way. I'm going to do it with different components, different variables. Uh, one of the things I've talked about before is also having the right support. Right. Sometimes, you know, I don't know how many times I've been told, especially in those hard periods of life, where why don't you go get a real job? You know, why don't you go out and do this? Why don't you go out and do that? Right. And for an entrepreneur, that's like the ultimate, you know, stab in the chest, stab in the back, all of the above. Right. It's like, you're told that you're made to believe that what you're trying to do is not worth anything. Right. Mm. But then having the right people behind you, the right support, the right cheerleaders, you know, the right people to tell you, Hey, you know what? I'm proud of you. I appreciate what you're doing. I know you can do it. Let's go on and do it together. Right. And having that support, it's invaluable. I mean, you know, at my age, looking back, I can look back at times in my life and I'm just like, without having those right people there to, to give you some that kick in the butt, it doesn't work right? Life, this business doesn't work. You know, we, we drain ourselves. We put ourselves through everything, right? To get those results, but it's really draining, right? And, and sometimes you need to get refilled and you need, you need somebody to support you, right? 
and it's, and it's very difficult to find those right people. Yeah, no, makes total sense. And the support group is really key. I appreciate you sharing more in depth about that, that time and around the, the recession. I mean, I had friends that were in lending early, you know, like 18, 19 year olds making more money than they could ever imagine. They had their own house that, you know, they had their own mortgage companies, they're just killing it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, bam, everything is gone. And to have that experience, you said you started the company at like 24. So this happened at some point in your, your mid to late twenties. Gosh, how crushing, right? Yes. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. And then now showing like, you can come back from that. And what your mentor said during that time, it's so key. And I feel that the universe, God, higher power, whatever you believe in as a listener out there, puts people in our, our life at certain times for a reason. And that person obviously was, you know, just a gift from whatever higher power you believe in to say the exact thing that you needed. And I love that line. You've done it before. You could do it again, except you'll do it better. And I kind of paraphrase it, but yeah. yeah, it's so, so true. And when you come out at the second time, you just, you've been seasoned by the pain and the, and you're, you're no longer quite as optimistic, which, you know, can be a benefit or a negative, but at the same time, you know what not to do. And that is everything. It is. Sometimes it's that Monday morning quarterback, right? To be able to look back and analyze some of your mistakes, you know, because it's in business, right? These the cycles are going to come and go. We're going to be, you know, come across the same situations again, right? And being able to have some knowledge to be able to, you know, go back. Yeah, back then I was, you know, 24, 25 years old. You know, I, I didn't know anything. You know, I thought I was pretty smart and I had a good head on my shoulders and I surrounded myself with, with some smart people. But now I can say, look, I've been through hell and back. You know, those decisions don't scare you as much. Um, it does make you a little gun shy, I will say, at times. You know, because you, you do sometimes second guess yourself, but, and then you can say, look, you know what? I can vet this out because now I know what are the potential outcomes? What are the potential pitfalls and how am I going to get past it? Absolutely. So as a finance guy, I'm curious, what's one of the best or most worthwhile investments you ever made? Oh, that's interesting. That's a fun one. That's a real fun one, right? Because, you know, as a finance guy, real estate, you know, that's what everybody's going to talk about, right? It's real estate is the number one investment. And as much as I do agree, and I, I do agree that those investments are the most important, a couple of reasons why, right? We can, it's real estate is it's collateralized by a real property, right? It's value of the property, even if it may go down, the cycles will always pan out and it always outperforms most of the markets. But I'm going to change it up on you. And I'm going to say the biggest investment is in yourself. That's the best investment you can do because knowledge and experience, learning, that's going to help you make the right decisions to be able to invest in the right vehicles that, that make sense for you. Because, you know, I talk to people every day and I, I have this, you know, I, I talk to a lot of guys and we're all, hey, it's the crypto, it's, the, it's Bitcoin, it's this and there's that. I have my reservations and we can talk about it if you want. I'm not That's not necessarily, you know, my, my specialty, but I, it's, you know. So I always tell people, there's real estate, there's there's a ton of different investment vehicles, but what's right for you is different, right? I'm not the licensed finance guy, investment guy to give that advice anymore. So it's always it's always creating the right investment vehicle that's right for you and your risk profile, right? Set that up properly, but invest in yourself so that you make, can make those right decisions. You have the capital disposable when the right opportunities come around. Come around. And right now the markets we're in, where it's like, look, everybody's, you know, trying to buy real estate, you know, which you know, we've gone through different cycles where people are buying property. Um, but if you weren't liquid or you didn't have access to capital or to cash, 
you know, you could have thought that's a great investment opportunity, but you could have never done it. Right. Right. So it's, it's sharpening yourself to be prepared to capitalize on any and all opportunities that you come across. Such a great point. And I was telling a young buck who kind of looks at me like a mentor. He's, he's in his early twenties and, and I uh, met him just through surfing and friends in Southern California. And he's like, you know, I want to have a conversation with you about finances and IRAs and all this stuff. It seems like you got a lot of that stuff figured out. And I was like, look, man, it took me years to increase my financial literacy and it was a conscious decision to do so. So I applaud you for having the courage to ask. And we finally had that conversation last night. Oh, really? Really, really fresh on my mind. And, uh, you know, some of the things that you mentioned were exactly what I told him. Like, you know, the right investment is the one for you. You got to understand what you're investing in, first of all. Don't try to go chase after something because someone else is saying it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Because yeah. like Warren Buffett's big quote is, you know, when everyone in your plumber is saying to get in, that's when you sell. Exactly. <laughs> it's too late. <laughs> yeah. And, that, and that's exactly what I was going to say, right? It's yeah. when you hear about this investment that everybody else is doing, it's too late. You know, yep. it's, the price is inflated already. Yep. Right? So but yeah. when there's blood in the streets and everyone's saying the sky is falling and nothing's ever going to come back, that's when you buy. Yeah. And you know what? And there's money to be made in every market. Right. Right. It's the old Wall Street quote, you know, uh, bears make money. Wow, I totally blanked out. Uh, yeah, well, I look, I'm not going to get into it because I'm stuck at quotes, but I totally forgot the quote already. It's, you know, there's opportunity to make money in every market, right? Sure. It's just don't be greedy about it. And it's it's follow the path that's right for you and your in your investment profile, right? We don't know everybody's finances. You don't know, like that guy who was talking to you, you know, he, you know, he's fresh and maybe he's got a little bit of money saved up and he wants to do some something interesting with it. And maybe he's got, you know, his risk profile is a little bit more because, you know, he maybe lives at home and he doesn't have a lot of the responsibilities a lot of, of us do, right? So right. he has an opportunity to do some stuff, right? right? But it's not for everybody. One story that I told him, which is exactly in line with what you mentioned is your most important investment is the investment in yourself. I told him, you know, it's a couple of tactics and savings minimums that I had learned from like Dave Ramsey back in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I graduated college like most people with some debt, right? And so I was like, man, how do I get out of this? And I remember researching how to get out of, you know, credit card debt or, you know, student loans, this and that. And it came up with Dave Ramsey's like seven baby steps. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a great little blog post. Like if you, if you haven't seen it and you're struggling with some of those similar things, I highly recommend checking it out. But couple of things I told him was like, you know, thousand dollars is a rainy day fund. It's not a lot of money, but like if you're young and your brakes go out on your car, you don't want to put that on a credit card. You want to have the cash on hand because you're, you're trying to pay down those things. Right. And so like, that's that little baby fund that is just for rainy days. And then when it depletes a little bit, you replenish it right away. Now, after that, your next goal is six months of your monthly expenses, whatever your overhead is, right? If it's $2,700 a month, because you're living pretty inexpensive in Southern California as a early twenties, you know, post-grad. Cool. Round up to 3K. Now you need 18,000 in savings to just be a catastrophic, like, hey, if you lose your job, if you get hit by a car, if things go totally wrong, you have a six month runway. And then the next goal is 12 months and the next goal is 18 months, right? But I told him when you have that cash on hand, and then you want to go buy a house and do a FHA loan with 3.5% down. Well, that might only be 15 grand. 
and now you have the cash for it. Yeah. And then you can replenish that savings again, but you have that cash. And then I told him, this is what wraps it all together. That was my experience. I did these baby steps. I had about 18,000 in savings. And then I had an opportunity to do a coaching and consulting program that cost $10,000. And I had a very clear point in my life where I thought I can either invest this in my first home, which it was going to be a down payment. I was like, I was looking at getting pre-approved, had the letter and everything. I can either do that or I can do this, make more money and get a better place in 12 months or 24 months, like fully repay myself back and then some, because I know that this is valuable. And I, I believe in investing myself. And I chose the latter. I chose to use that down payment for my first house for coaching and consulting and just double down on myself. Yeah. And I've gotten, I mean, multiples, multiples returned based on that initial investment. So I couldn't agree with you more on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so true, right? I mean, it's, we all come opportunities where I, I know in my career, I've done that where it's, you know, you can stay at this job where you're, you know, your salary and, or you can take this other job where, you know, maybe it might be a little bit more pay, but less opportunity, less experience, right? And if you stay here and you take the the, the, le the lesser of the two, theoretically, right? There's a bigger growth and bigger potential and maybe six month, a year, 18 month down the road, you're going to be in a much better spot, right? Mm -hmm. So it is, it's, it's being able to, to take some risks on yourself, right? To invest in yourself and believe in yourself that you can accomplish those things, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So... I like to ask this question because it helps me to understand where other people, you know, decide what to say yes and no to. So what's your process for evaluating what to say no to? That's a real good question because that's one of the things that I've struggled with the most in my career. Um, it's being able to say no. Yeah. Right. You know, for a long time, being able to say no to deals, you know, just like to loans that I came, that came across my desk was the hardest part because... I wanted to the competitiveness that it's like, oh, you've been turned down by 25 of the lenders. Hold on, I can get this done. You know? And then I realized that I would leave 10, 15 deals on the table because I was spending all my time and resources on working on this one transaction that possibly could happen or could not happen. Right. So that was one of the first things that I had to kind of tell myself. It's, you know, how much is my time worth? What am I going to put into this? And what, you know, where am I, is my time better spent, right? You know, and most of my decisions, to be honest with you, nowadays come to that, is to time, because my time is, is a finite resource that I don't have a lot of lately. You know, I, I need to make time for my family, my loved ones, things that are a lot more important for me, right? At this stage in my life, it's that's what, that's the investment that I'm making in myself. When I was in my early 20s, even early 30s, I didn't do that well, you know, and now in my early 40s, it's, you know what, those are the things that are more important for me. So it's, my kids are in high school and, you know, they're getting ready to, to fly the nest, to leave the nest soon. So when I have the opportunities, my son's in band and he's playing the drums at a, at a competition, I'm going to drop everything and go, go there. You know, my daughter, you know, a couple weeks ago, I had homecoming, you know, to take her dress shopping, you know, and I was that dad taking pictures and doing that. And that stuff is important to me. Right. So it depends saying yes or no, it's has a lot to do with my time and my resources. Uh, you know, there's, there's a value to my time and that's usually how I'll usually use that to make my decisions. I like that. Yeah. One of my mentors told me to divide the amount of money I made last year by 2000. And that, that is my hourly rate, simple formula because mm -hmm. it's kind of can get convoluted if you're like, well, 
I closed a deal and it only took me an hour to like say, have the paperwork signed and do the final walkthrough. Yeah. And so yeah, no, you're like, I made, you know, $15,000 an hour. <laughs> that's, like, that's, I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> that's not it. That's, that's not, not right. <laughs> you divide it by 2000 and you could even do more because 2000 is based on 50 weeks, or, yeah. 40 hours a week, taking two weeks off. Most real estate professionals are working 60, 80 hour weeks. You might divide it by three or 4,000 and that's your hourly rate, right? That'll be more accurate so that now, you know, anything lower than that, you can afford to outsource, but it's an accurate number. It might be $60 an hour or 30 or whatever your transaction volume is based on how much you're working. But now, you know, gosh, if I can start to outsource some things for 10, 20, 25, even 30, if I hate that thing. And it's equivalent to my hourly rate, right? But now I can go focus on increasing that hourly rate by being more effective and, and product, productive. So key. So yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's, I, uh, it's, like you said, it's efficiency, right? It's yeah. You know, I learned that one from a manager I had a long time ago, and and, and he said that he was like, because you're doing a spreadsheet task that you know we can have a hourly person doing, right? Your your hourly rate is a lot higher than that hourly person. Right, go out and do what you're called to do, and don't do that. To, you know, another guy told me, another mentor of mine said, because you know our job, we get, do get a lot of emails, right? And you get bombarded with emails, and sometimes I sit here for six hours and just responding to emails, yeah. and it's like responding to emails are not is not your job, right? Right? I didn't get into this business to be a good a good email responder, right? right. It's to go out and 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 raise capital and to create opportunities for people to make money. You know, sometimes those emails can wait. That's right. Hundred percent. Is there a question I should have asked you, or anything that you'd like to elaborate on from earlier? Um, no, I, I mean I think we've kind of covered a lot of it, right? And, and so no, not not a, any questions. I think that you missed. Cool. So how can listeners contact you? A couple ways. You can reach out to uh, for our organization online at www.jssfinancial.net. On socials, we're at, at JSS Financial all over the place. For me individually, I'm at byronenriquez.com and at The Casual Executive on all the socials as well. Awesome. I love that brand, by the way, The Casual Executive. Look forward to following. I will link below to Byron's uh, different links that he just mentioned and really appreciate having you on. You know, I appreciate the time. It def- definitely uh, eye-opening experience. Oh, well, thank you. And you know, I really appreciate having you, Byron Enriquez offering lending, very interesting capital opportunities for investors doing flips and doing different types of either multifamily or single family investments. So I'll definitely be in touch with you, if nothing else, as a, another capital partner in my Perfect. investor network. So really appreciate it. having you on. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.